1: Hello, and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine, and I'm joined now by Seb Stafford-Bloor. You sure are. Hello, Joe Devine. Hello there. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Fantastic news. And also, JJ Bull. Hello. The Big Bulldog. Yes. How are you doing? Okay. Doing wonderful, yes. We watched all of the football. Are you really doing wonderful? Because your beloved Scotland lost quite badly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh No. Uh, We'll come come on to talk about that. (laughs) Let's let's give JJ a bit of a breather there for a start. But before we get started, let me remind you that if you're into football and you like reading about football, there's no better place for you than The Athletic. If you were to visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you'd find that you could enjoy a deal of £1 per month for six months uh, to read all of the fantastic writers we have available. You know, there's a list of uh, guest columnists during the Euros too, which is mightily impressive, Seb, including the one and only Scott McTominay writing a column for The Athletic. Uh, pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool. Emma Hayes is writing a column
2: for The Athletic. Very good. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed reading that.
1: Yeah. And Alan Shearer is Alan around, Shearer is not just the- for The Euros, also around for He's other more times. more of a
2: permanent, kind of has a permanent home in The yeah. Athletic, doesn't
1: he? But if you hate famous people, there's also, who else? I mean, JJ and I occasionally
2: write the odd piece, and sure. Alex is there too, yeah. and, uh, you know, I mean, a step above that, and it's a little bit more famous, so maybe that, you know, maybe that's not what people are
1: after. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, that's £1 a month for six months, what a deal, check it out. Okay, well, without further ado, uh, we were going to uh, crack into the, the the day four of the Euros, Uh, So I'll leave you in the cool hands and the warm embrace of J.J. Bull and Seb Stafford-Bloor. Okay, let's kick things off with Spain versus Sweden. Nil-nil, always a good start. Uh, Attack versus defence, sterile possession. J.J., we talked about this uh, very briefly just after the game finished there. A little disappointing. Uh, How would you summarise the game?
3: Uh, Spain had all of the ball and didn't ping it around quickly enough I think you saw the difference when uh, Thiago Alcantara yeah. let's call him Thiago when he came on you saw the difference how much quicker the game became and uh, like he was hitting these drill passes from one wing to the other which was just getting them forward more quickly but the problem they had is Sweden are playing on a 4 block and uh, in theory a four-three-three, which is what Spain were playing you should have numerical advantage in midfield, spinners are just staying quite close together, and uh, to be able to play through that or around that, because they drop deep very quickly, you need to have a quick tempo, so you can get the ball around or through them, you want to try and switch it from side to side to create space between players, so you can play through balls or vertical passes, and uh, or you just want to be able to tap your way up the pitch, and it's kind of like, do you know when Spain pass teams to death and that then moved on to what the kind of the German model was, where it's more counter-attacky. So a lot of teams would then deliberately try and pull a team like Sweden towards them to give themselves some space to get in behind. But then they weren't really able to do it at all. You played, I mean, they had Ferran Torres was playing. Um, he's quick on the wing, couldn't really get in. Uh, Danny Olmo had quite a bit of the ball, but this didn't seem to really ever cause him
1: real problems, did they? Mmm, real people's problems. You're absolutely right. Anyway, speaking of real people's problems, the Spanish bench, Seb, that's not really a great uh, sequitur, isn't it? But um, it feels a little bit weak. I mean, we were talking about it midway through the first half. I suddenly thought, I'll have a look at who's on the bench because this Spain team feels a little light. You know, decent team, but you know, lots of top players in there. Look at the bench. There really aren't too many options there. And I feel like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm stuck thinking about Spain as a Spain of 2010 and anything just feels like a letdown a bit. A bit unfair from me, but...
2: No, I, but I, I think this is one of the problems. When you when you leave an indelible mark on the game, when you're great for a long period of time, this becomes the expectation. And so you lodge yourself in people's mind as a, a team that will always have amazing resources, always have plans B and C. But you're right though, you look at the bench and let's be fair, Thiago came on, changed the game. Uh, JJ and I were talking about that. Within a few minutes, his he put a little bit more pace into the passing, a bit more kind of almost authority. Just really knew what to do with the ball. It wasn't quite as tentative. Elsewhere, it was a little bit unproven. I'm looking through the names now. Adama Torre had a good Premier League season a
1: couple of years ago. A little bit it was last season, wasn't it? Yeah, not the one just finished. A little
2: bit indifferent this year. Um, Gerard Moreno has had a great season in Spain. Didn't come on as the first. You know, first forward change. Fabian Ruiz, like him a lot, but he's somewhere between being a great under-21s player and a really useful senior international. I don't know about him really. So I don't know. It's um it felt a little bit felt a little bit like England were a couple of years ago. Yeah. Beneath that beneath that top layer, little it starts still to get a little bit tenuous. Yeah. Um and uh I don't know, it was um it was really strange because it was, it was kind of, it was Spain playing as kind of cliched late-era Arsenal, Arsenal. Lots lots of possession, lots of different ways to miss chances. Not a lot of conviction, much maligned forward missing chances there as well. Bit of an odd one.
1: Can I say, thinking about it now, because I'm going to talk to you about Alvaro Morata. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Spain have always kind of had a striker problem, haven't they? I mean, apart from the Diego years, well, uh, there was, I mean, I know there was Torres. But Torres was never brilliant for Spain. Right? David Villa was brilliant for Spain. Okay, that is true. Well, I
2: suppose he, he he could play as an inside forward, often played as a wide forward for Barcelona too. He wasn't like play a as super nine. nine. No, he was probably too rounded a player to be classed as a nine. But he was brilliant. Let's be let's be fair. Also, Raul, going back, Raul. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh yeah, going
1: back. I mean, what I said was always. What I actually meant was just recently. Just recently, in like yeah. the last couple of years. No, well, the not. last sort of
2: ten years. It feels as if. The centre forward, it feels as if Spanish football isn't really geared to produce like a, an old-fashioned number nine. I mean, I know mm-hmm. Diego Costa played for Spain, but Diego Costa was naturalised. He was, uh, you know, born in Brazil. Isn't what you would associate with kind of typical production in Spain. Um, so it's weird. It feels a little bit like this moment's been coming and you kind of, this team, if this team's going to win anything, if this team's going to win the tournament, it's going to be goals by committee. Alvaro Morata's is not going to score 10 times in this competition. Um, I don't think anybody else is either. You're going to have to have a pretty mighty contribution from from midfield, from wide positions. I mean, he's rubbish, isn't he?
1: <laughs> it's not. Let me no. Let me, know, me just say, hold okay, on. Let me tee okay. this up properly because what's happened is you've started the segment before I've done my bit. And if you do that, I've got nothing to say. It does, and kind I look of, like a fool. Okay, sorry about that. Let me let let me cool. let me hit, watch watch this. Okay, Alvaro Morata. Yeah, hmm, interesting. Never scored more than 15 league goals in a season. Did you know that? No, you didn't. I wrote it in the plan. Average is almost one in two for Spain, though, in about 40 uh, caps. But here's the big stat that I found out earlier today, specifically me. Uh, £161 million has been spent on him by clubs across his career. I believe that includes loan fees too. Uh, That's too much money for Alvaro Morata. That's my hot take.
2: It feels like it's too much money for Alvaro Morata. It also feels as if he's been someone that people have assumed is good for a really long time without possibly looking at some of the situations he's got himself into. Didn't succeed at Chelsea. Atletico Madrid are kind of paying him to go away at the moment, which is a strange situation. It's not that I think he's bad. I just don't quite know what he's good at. Like when he was a young player, people said things like, he has loads of shots a game. And so from Mm. a data perspective, that's really encouraging. And that was very fair. As time's gone on, still having shots, but they're not going in the goal
1: He's, even, know he's, he's sort of at. um becoming a ghost across the course of his career. Do you know what I mean? Like spooky making ghost. less and less impact, at least to, to my perspective. Uh what do you think about him, JJ?
3: quite spooky, so I can see why you'd say that. <laughs> uh he is as expensive like weirdly expensive, he is. <laughs> He is as really expensive as he is. In the same way that an oven is so much cheaper than I think it should be. Yeah. Do you know? Sure. Like, how come so much (laughs) has been spent on Murata when an oven (laughs) is like... (laughs) Toaster. Toaster really expensive. I don't like... There's so much cheaper. How much do you think an oven is? Like £400. Ah, it's it's a bit... You get cheaper ones than that,
1: though. But how could that
3: be? It's a big contraption.
1: (laughs) It's a dangerous big contraption.
3: It 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 could kill a man... Yeah, and you can eat, you can eat several things in
1: it. Are these are all things that are both an oven and Elvaro Morata.
3: Yes, uh, yes, and um, I don't know another way I can link an oven to Morata, but he's certainly not cooking right now <laughs> in his form. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think what Morata? Mar- 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 what he is good at is movement off the ball. <laughs> He makes very clever runs, but then he doesn't quite have. He also falls over too much. so I don't like that. Is he good with the ball?
2: Is he good, like if I, if I'm a, if I'm an attacking midfielder and I ping a ball into his feet? Does he do that well? I think
3: it, well. This mm. is the thing. I think he's a good footballer, right? Because he's okay. got a good technique, good first touch. And so you look at him and go, like, he's a high level footballer. He's got like ninety attribute points to use. He's kind of more uh, than-
2: Roberto Soldado ish type figure. Really good with the ball at his feet. Yeah. that's harsh, Call him Soldado. No, but forget, say? forget, forget the kind of negative, the the bad Roberto side oh. of that. Think about the kind of you know what he does in the kind of the usefulness, the sort of the parts of his game which make you think when he's not scoring goals. Yeah, but maybe he's just a number ten. Like when I went through that phase with Soldado,
1: I think I was, he's not really like. it's uh, Listen, let's to clarify. Alvaro Morata, obviously, extremely high level player. Yeah, yeah. goes should should go without saying. But he's sort of not anything, and I think that's part of the problem, right? Because it, when you go through these dry patches, you think of a player like uh, Soldado, right? Yeah, he's, he's big. He's, no, oh no, he's not. Yeah, he was fairly big. No, he wasn't.
2: Yeah, he was. No, 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 he wasn't. He's about my height. No, he's about five foot ten.
1: No. That's how it I, I thought I forgot cost. I thought he was, oh, who am I, oh, I'm thinking Fernando Llorente. Yes.
3: Yeah, he yes. is big. Yeah. Never
1: mind. Let's move on.
2: Yeah, but the, the, this is, this is a good point though because Murata, quite a tall guy but not very physical. Mm-hmm. Um, he's more of a finesse player so it's a little bit of a trick of the mind. But he's not seen. a super finesse player. No, he's not super, so he's kind of betwixt and between, not he's really anything.
3: Yeah, right also what, I want Jack of all trades oh Jack of all trades I want a nine to be able to like hit laces shots like yeah. put power through it he's definitely always holding then L2 to curl it yeah yeah, like, yeah. always yeah. I would say
2: mm. I also want him to play a bit of you know don't like it football like you know sort of uh, brill and bolo type. And get at them let get them down, know you're there like sort of. steam up the pitch kind of football but yeah. can't do that either
1: well he appears to be Spain's first choice so I'm sure we'll see more that's of him that's weird to me that's weird 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 I think Marino you play a, Marino
2: Marino's a better player Marino is also more importantly he's come off the better season um no one scored only Messi scored more goals than Moreno in La Liga last season. That's important. You, you you take form into a tournament especially when it's a center forward, especially when it's a center Why forward. Why didn't
1: he even come on in the game then?
2: It, well he did, but he wasn't. Sarabia came on first right. and then they they introduced I think they they took Dani Olmo off for Moreno and it felt like he never really got a chance to get into the game, but I I think he's a better player. I just um don't don't get it. Not quite as fashionable, I guess.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, before we talk about Izak, uh, who I know you enjoyed watching in this game, I wanted to talk uh, quickly about Pau Torres. Um, because, well, firstly, Spain's defence is a little bit timid still. I suppose mm. it's a new partnership, so uh, they're learning each other and we'll see them develop over the next uh, couple of games. But uh, with Pau Torres, a specific relation to Manchester United, because there are rumours at the moment of a transfer afoot, potentially, uh, in the, in the rumour mill. And it seems like quite a nice fit, really, doesn't it? Because I know that, uh, it's, you know, United... Seem to have been looking for a left-footed centre-back for some time, so that Harry Maguire can play his natural yeah. right-footed, uh, right-sided position. Yeah. I think the only reason he plays on the left is because all the other ones are too bad to do it. Uh, so that would be quite a nice fit, wouldn't it? Yeah, I always like that. I like
2: the kind of the symmetry when you have a right foot and a left foot. Also, like it's kind of the curse of the, the the better centre half to move into the uncomfortable position because you you think right, you've got the attributes to deal with it. so you're going to make the sacrifice, whereas. With a player like that, you kind of, if you if you move Maguire over to the left, you're sort of taking away, you're cutting off one of his passing angles because he's he's decent with the ball at his feet. Um, you're also putting him in a position where he's having to tackle with his weaker foot. Don't like that. He'll get away with it because he's a good player, but that's not the same as being in your right position and being as effective as you could be. Also for United, it's we, we were talking about this over over our uh, over our order in food earlier. Uh, you have the possibility of going to a back three. Without moving Luke Shaw into one of those centre back positions and losing him from the kind of the wing back role. So I like it. I think it would um, cost a lot of money, though, huge amount of money for Torres, unless there's a buyout clause. Well, Spanish buyout clause is always is massive. So I doubt there's a deal to be done there, but
1: I'd like it. Can I ask you a tactical question about Please. that? I think Seb kind of explained it. But when people talk about having a left footed player mm. in the left centre back role for the passing options, are they saying because their body is kind of. Facing to the left slightly, if they're on the left side, and they're more likely to be able to play a pass out up and wide. I'd never really understood exactly what the why having a left foot on the left is better if you're a centre back. I get it as a full back. Yeah, why is it?
3: Well, I mean, it depends entirely on the situation they're in and the team they're playing against. But generally, the ball goes out from goalie to you on say the left side of centre back, and you're left footed. Logs out to you inside the 18 yard box now. Then you turn your left foot. Your natural next pass is going to be wide to, and you can do it on the right foot, but the angle's better. So you can put it ahead of them easier. It's just better angles for passing it that way. Also, you can do those kind of, if you want to play longer balls into the channel, it's going to be easier because it's going to curl out to in. So it's not going to go straight out of play if it keeps going. You know, that kind of curled uh, kind of bit there. But then you could also, you could argue if you played them the opposite way around. So, say you're playing against a team who has inside forwards like uh, Liverpool, for example. So, if Manny's coming off the left, he's right-footed. So, if you had uh, like Laporte played on the right for Spain this evening, he's left-footed. So, if you come on into your right, stronger foot, suddenly is your left. So, then you can you could argue that then they could better deal with that threat. Yeah, which is why sometimes you'll get a manager like Pep or something like that, will often play you know a wrong side, wrong-footed player on the opposite fullback side. The so right footer on the left back so they can deal with someone running in to deal with that. But it is to do with where you pass and what the angles you get. It's just easier having a mixture of the two. But you know, I yeah. I like it.
1: Speaking of, 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 of angles, a man who doesn't need angles is uh, Isaac because he just goes wherever he wants, apparently. said Flows like water into the gaps. Yeah, well, mm. he
2: created the best chance of the game, which Marcus Berg should have taken. Yeah. A horrible hack over the bar at the back post. Isaac is... um. He's Interesting, he scored one and two last season at Sociedad. I've always thought that um I don't know if this makes sense. He, he's always seemed like he plays a bit shorter than he really is. Like he's he's six foot four, which surprises you when you look it up. But he seems like a, a smaller, more compact player. And that might be because well two reasons. Um maybe because his his touch is so good, his technique is really, really good, but it also because he doesn't seem to exert that kind of that physicality on the defenders around him. I thought it was interesting tonight because he seemed to get that, that blend of uh, physicality, that size and technique. Absolutely right. And I think um, this might have changed because I looked this up just before he went off. But I think he had fewer than 30 touches in the entire game. And yet he had a pretty pronounced impact with Sweden not really doing a thing in the Spanish half. And I think that's really encouraging. Um, and I, um, forgive me, I didn't see the, the the name of the person who left the comment. But someone said if Spain had had him up front tonight, they'd have won. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, that would have been, a, you know, that would have been something to see. But he he's interesting because he's one of those guys who, when he when he broke into senior football at Dortmund, everyone lost their mind. He was kind of, this guy is going to be, you know, a 95-rated player within five years. And um, I think he left Dortmund without actually, I think he may have scored a couple of goals in the Pokal, the German version of the uh, FA Cup, but don't think he ever scored a Bundesliga goal. Went on loan to Willem Thuy, I think, in the Eredivisie. Scored goals, then was sold to Sociedad. Um, I think Dortmund still have a buyback there somewhere. But he's been really successful in Spanish football, and it's um, and you can see the development in him. You can see the kind of the the sort of the more rounded game and
3: the the just a mighty talent. And still
2: really young, and you forget that because he has been around for so long.
3: That point in him being so apparently six foot three. Six uh, foot three. Okay. Apparently he's what the manager reckons. um, and. Playing like a smaller player is interesting because a lot of coaches do that. If they've got a tall striker, is they try and coach them to think like they're closer. With like' the way, closer?
2: Just with with, with a kind of.
3: well it's to make sure uh, that you're making runs in the box, not relying on just being a target? Oh, so, I see. So it's okay. to do with um, there was a boy at Aberdeen called Sam Cosgrove, and I know this is this is actually what Aberdeen did when they coached him. I spoke to the manager Derek McInnes, and they were saying the way they were coaching him was to make him think that he's much smaller than he actually is. So if he, if he thinks he's five foot ten in his head, um. And he's going to be trying to make runs to get ahead of people because that's what you have to do. You can't just rely on your height to beat them. Okay. i normally be at a standing start if you're that kind of tall. So you coach them to make the runs and to always looking for the space. Suddenly you have that height advantage already. So you're just a much better player.
2: That's really interesting. Yeah, I thought it was fascinating. I wonder, I wonder how easy that is as a... Because presumably as a taller player, if you've always been tall and you've come through youth football, yeah. size will get you quite far in youth football like because you were able to... Not just because you can just push people over, just because... You, you see, even even as far up as maybe the under 21s, you see the advantages that kind of physical gifts can give. So it must be really hard to kind of relearn the game in a way. It depends into.
3: how tall he was when he was younger as well, because you don't yeah. know what, how tall he was. I mean, just probably found that out. That'd be useful to know. Some, like a lot of players, people think are going to be amazing when they're younger just because they're tall and strong.
2: And then those physical advantages kind of fade away. They just melt yeah. with, yeah. But
3: there's loads of things they put into training now or in youth level football to make sure that those things are. Uh, are leveled out, like the year that someone's born can affect because that's the class they go into. So if you're born the later half of the year or the earlier half of the year, I can't remember which is the advantage, but one means you're going to be less physically developed as others, but also every human develops at different yeah. stages and ways. So that can be one of the things. But in terms of in terms of coaching it, you would just, when you have your individual attacking sessions, it would just be the coaches who would tell them you need to make this kind of run or and you just get them to repeat it and Get that.
2: What kind of drill would that be in, though?
3: uh, I mean, there would be so many thousands of different ways you could do it. But say you're having a, um, say you're putting the ball out wide to a guy crossing it in, so you'll have two coaches, one will put it out wide to the cross, and maybe you've got a winger you're training, and then that would, you just try and have dummies set up. So you're saying, right, you're going to aim to go outside of the near post and you're going to cut to the far.
2: Oh, do you mean those big, really creepy, inflatable white things that you see? Those are like
3: the sort of see through uh, men made of wire. That looked like they could be in a children's playground. Do you know what Can you, know you what imagine
2: if you were, if you were like cutting across a training ground late at night and someone had left a couple of those out there and you didn't really know where you were and you just stumbled across a few of them? I'd years.
3: rather that than an actual person. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but it, eventually, yeah. But initially yeah. you'd be like, that's, you know.
3: Well, it'd yeah. be, come to life, yeah. That'd be it'd really... It'd be very, very frightening. Spooky, yeah, him yeah, and a spooky Moretto. No, you wouldn't want Dark. that. No. Terrifying. Are oh, you, oh,
1: you done to pivot us away from this? <laughs> just waiting for you to finish. Okay. Uh, Jamie Powell in the chat says big shout out to Lindelof It was quality today definitely improved this season yeah he has I mean that's right. don't that's not that interesting Well, I'll stop
2: stop you there no 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 I'm going to plough on because I wanted to just say well done to Marcus Danielson who I'd never heard of before but everything that came to the, the penalty box just seemed to hit him somewhere on the body just kept getting hit by the football and he played very well yeah never heard of him plays in China apparently
1: good job to Michael Marcus. 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 Good job, Marcus.
2: 32-year-old Marcus. 32 years old. Didn't get capped until after his 30th birthday, which is quite, no rare, way. quite rare today in, in that football. That is yeah. good. Especially if you play in the Chinese Super League, I thought. Yeah. That seems, you know, a circuitous route to a, a proud moment
1: one might have considered would never come. Very,
2: very well done
1: tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I referenced the chat, which is, uh, as I note, called me portly this evening. Thank you, chat. Um, <laughs> because uh, if you're listening on the podcast, on your mobile device, or laptop computer, uh, you should know that we also live stream these podcasts on YouTube uh, the evening of uh, the games we're discussing shortly after the final game has finished, about 10 minutes afterwards. So you can join us on uh, YouTube on TIFO IRL, where we are also posting some wonderful videos during the tournament, uh, making use of our large touchscreen tactics board uh, to explain all of the uh, complicated details of the football uh, world. So there you go. Come and join us on Tifo IRL and give us a subscribe. Thank you for that. Uh, We will be back momentarily.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, we're back.
1: Scotland, uh, nil, to Czech Republic, or the XG says Scotland 2.23, 0.95 Czech Republic. Very different. To, uh, to the scoreline there, of course. But the main thing here is goal of the tournament. Already here. Patrick Schick from uh, 49.7 yards away. A shot with just 0.03 xG. <laughs> That's extraordinarily low. Uh, it's the longest in the European Championship since 1980. Although Seb hasn't included who, who scored the longer one. Uh, thank you, Seb. And it was described by Alan Shearer for The Athletic in his column as unbelievable, full stop, gorgeous. And that's true. Do you know where I think it would have been wonderful to watch that goal? at
0: the Old Red Lion.
1: That would have been great. It would, would have, have been, been great. Yeah. Listen, this isn't an advert. This Uncle Uncle Damien's Pub, the Old Red Lion, best place to watch football in London. And of course, they are allowing Ste- uh, Seb, Seb? Seb, Seb to stay there for free throughout the whole tournament. Um, just because they're nice and they're my family and there's a familial obligation. And also, you know, Seb otherwise would have been out on the street and we wouldn't have wanted that. Because um, somebody might have stolen his work property. So we've put him in a, a little bedroom upstairs at the Old Red Line. Really is the best place to watch football great in London. Football. Lovely spot. Yeah. Hang out with Will, the barman. Make friends with Rolo, the pub dog. But don't feed him because otherwise he will have uh, gastro issues.
3: What is this podcast?
1: <laughs> anyway, that's the bit about the Old Red Line. Uh, goal of the tournament. Patrick Schick. We did that bit. Um, lovely goal though, Seb. Goodness me, it wasn't
2: just a long hoof, were it? were it? No, because I have a thing about goals from distance. Like there's, beyond a certain distance, people just assume a goal is great, whatever whatever happens. So you get that kind of very famous Matt Taylor goal where the ball sort of just lands on his foot, he thumps it and it goes in. Or Charlie Adams scored one at Stamford Bridge a couple of years ago. And it's kind of just a reward for being able to kick the ball a long way. Yeah. Whereas this was um, great vision. Patrick Schick knew exactly where... Um, where the goalkeeper was, actually said in his uh, interview after the game, he'd noticed the the high goalkeeping line in the first half, which yeah. is kind of cool. Um, but if you, if you find the angle from behind the goal, you see the kind of the shape on the shot and the kind of the ease with which he just strokes it in from what, like 50 yards or something. So elegant. So also, fun.
1: first game at the Euros... It's a big moment to try that in as well. It's not just that like, it's wonderful technique and uh, it's you know take somebody extremely accomplished and observant to do mm. that. It's also the, the boldness to even try that in the first like, we, one of the issues with the Euro so far, uh, and I think many major tournaments in the first sort of game week uh, or match day is that teams are very cautious because they don't want to lose their first game. Yeah. right So we've had we have had a bit of sterile football. And I love that somebody took a shot from the halfway well, line. So
2: think about that situation. So you're, you're Patrick Schick and you're breaking with the ball. Mm. You've got one goal lead, remember? Mm-hmm. And Scotland, you know, applied a lot of pressure. Scotland, I thought, were a better team. JJ's probably going to disagree later. But um, you'd think, right, consolidate, drive the ball into into the opposition half and slowly build a phase because you don't want to give the ball away, do you? You want to kind of, you want to wrestle the momentum of the game. You want to stymie whatever the opposition are doing. And just control the game a little bit. Instead, you do that, and if you get that wrong, you get hammered from the technical area. Surely, like you just—if you just you know—spoon that into the stand, then that's going to be kind of that's going to be the first thing the coach tells it uh, says to you when you come off. But just lovely finish. and just I love the I love the ease with which he does it. Doesn't break stride. It's just a it's just a gentle kind of carving shot that just doesn't even bounce before it goes in.
3: Mm-hmm. I think it's like football law that he had to hit that. You know, in the same way when the ball drops. <laughs> On the edge of the box uh, from like a corner or something. Have to hit it. Yeah, you have to hit it. You Mm have to do it.
2: Do you remember the um, uh, last season, there was a Chelsea debutant who, I forget who it was, but he came on and it was was an academy product. Came on and the ball dropped to him on the volley about 40 yards out. And you just saw it. you, You saw it in his mind going, got to hit it. I've got to hit it. And he actually, it just, you know, I think it went like sideways. Well, I'm yeah. all for it. I but agree. you have to do it because if that's your first touch in professional football, then, you know,
1: you yeah. have to do it. Hit the table again, Seb. I shall not, no. Two times no. in the space of three minutes. It was, it was the thing it, it, You it, shall be punished. I Patrick Schick is also is a fantastic name, isn't it? One of the great names in, in great world name, football. A great name, yes. I love people called Patrick, but Schick, yes, please. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's talk about that goal from the other perspective though, JJ, because some people on social media on social media, were disappointed uh, by David Marshall's positioning. Yes. Um, You called a friend of yours who's a goalkeeping coach, and what did he tell you? Uh, My friend, who is a professional goalkeeping
3: coach, said uh, he was slightly too high. (laughs) (laughs) This is is what happens. You do your badges. (laughs) You spend your career playing... Uh, coaching goalkeepers and this is i've, I've got, got, got a follow-up question though yeah. so
2: if he's if he's that high because mm. like if man or is there i'm okay with it because when he gets the ball or if he's if he's sweeping behind his defense he's yeah. useful because he's composed on the ball or edison yeah, 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 or yeah, yeah. david marshall i mean like what's the real value of him being there because the chance of him making a mistake or hacking a clearance or
3: yeah i don't feels weird i mean On one hand, you sort of go like, oh, he's not going to score from there. (laughs) Oh, do your worst. Let him have a go. Yeah, he's not going to score from there. Uh, So, I mean, the the separate parts to it are that um, Jack Henry probably shouldn't have tried a shot when he is... There were two defenders behind him, but he is still essentially the last man for his third of the pitch. So he should not have shot. Also, because he's not going to score, there's another reason he shouldn't have done it. Yeah, he hit one against the Netherlands and scored. So he's, you know, he's allowed to have a goal, but just not then. And uh, yeah, they could have played put it, put it wide. I think Stephen O'Donnell was waiting for the the pass out wide in the overlap. Just a bad decision to start, and he hits it badly. But blah blah blah. Ball jumps, and then Marshall straight away starting position. He is about ten. It's about 10, 15 yards. It's too high.
1: I mean, he's closer to the center circle than he is to his goal.
3: Yeah, but then maybe he maybe he just got caught watching the. Watching the yeah. play, he's just little, watching the
1: guys getting ready to celebrate the goal. Yeah.
3: and that's the thing, and you just don't expect. I mean, you don't expect it, and maybe you've. Maybe he was a, bit, a little bit quicker. Maybe he was a bit younger or something like that. He might have yeah. been able to save it. It's one of the things I thought going into this tournament, David Marshall is uh, now a national hero in Scotland because he saved the penalties that got Scotland through to the Euros first place, first tournament, 23 years. And now we're out. But he, uh, if he wasn't there, what you would want is um, Alan McGregor of Rangers, who I still mm. think is one of the best goalkeepers genuinely yeah. in the entire UK. Like, yeah, I agree. He's, not only is he mental, but he's, like, he's such an insane, desperate man to win. He's just a brilliant goalkeeper. Some of the stuff he's doing this season, Europa League level, Scottish Premiership, just unbelievably good.
2: Was he in goal for Rangers when they got to the Europa League final? Uh,
3: I don't remember. <laughs> Alan McGregor, that would've been in Spent a long time in Premier League as well, I mean, so he could have been. It would have been
2: because he was at Hull, wasn't he, for a bit, but he yeah. this would have been probably 2007, 2008. I can't remember exactly when, but they got they got beaten by Zenit. I, don't I think Alan McGregor had a brilliant tournament, I think. Yeah. I think Apologies if I'm wrong about that.
3: Well, I can't remember exactly. We can try and find out, but if he um uh, did he play in that? No, it doesn't say he's got a runner-up thing for it. If, he, if he'd if still been playing for Scotland this tournament, it would have been such a strong... Kind of, cause one of the weaknesses, I think, is at the back for Scotland. So there's yeah. no strong, definite first-choice centre-back. I thought Grant Halley was really good. Yeah, I thought he was, was great. Best I've ever seen him play. Yeah, but Didn't really- realise he was that quick.
2: I've never associated no. Grant Hanley with pace.
3: His body position, I thought, was really interesting. Yeah. The way he was like shielding stuff out. Just very in control of the situation. And we lost two 0 So <laughs> was he? I don't know. What's um? What's the difference between? Because when when you
2: when you came into the office, JJ was so excited this morning, He came with his iron brew and he and he had yeah. his kind of tartan face mask and um, and we we, we were talking about the Kirantini injury. What's the difference? What would have been the effect of him playing?
3: Tierney playing? Yeah, um, what's I think Tierney wouldn't have stood for how play. passive lot of the play was. So the, the, the plan, I didn't, so there's a, there's a few things, right? Tierney wasn't playing not through manager choice because I think he's might be injured. I don't, so yeah, it was it's a bit a, vague,
2: but he's had a bit of a knock. People think he's going to play against England. So right. I can't be serious if it's going to be fit in three or four days.
3: Well, regardless, um, if Tierney, when Tierney plays, I thought we'd get more out of Robertson because it tends to be that Robertson often just has to drop in because Tierney's like, sack this, I'm going. And he drives up and he and often underlaps. Um, or he'll overlap Robertson when he goes inside. So there's a couple of thing that happens, and you have to treat the Republic game as the m- most likely one that Scotland would win. This was the one Scotland should have won. Yeah. yeah. This is the game. So you think you play your most attacking setup. Um, I think not playing. Uh, I like Stephen O'Donnell um, a lot, mostly as a person because <laughs> he's really nice. Uh, but um, as a footballer, I think he said like he jokes about himself being a technically limited player, and you saw it again and again and again and again in this game. He didn't have the speed, acceleration or dribbling ability to take anyone on 1v1. And because he is all of the width as a single wing-back in that system, he's just trapped on the right side. And Scotland kept going up the right. And you've got Robertson on the left running these runs. I don't know if they're trying to drag play to the right to switch to Robertson. And there's that chance that Robertson missed know, he came on to the, the ball as it was played across very well across the yes, pitch. Yes, 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 yes. And that might be an example of it, right? But I think you should be focusing on the, on the left side. Um, Tierney... Would, should have been the left centre-back. He would have pushed far, f- far further forward than uh, Cooper did at any point and helped out in either midfield, give you a bit of a, not an overload, but you could match when you need to do that. He's also just hardy and gives you that grit that was definitely missing the performance. But in terms of like Clark, where I think he got, got wrong with this, um, uh, if you care, is that like playing Lyndon Dykes up top as a striker, yeah. fine, but don't play every single pass out from the back to him because they are just giving the ball away Every single time Trying to get runs in behind Czech Republic realised it Within the first two minutes five well, Actually the first five minutes of Scotland were okay But after 15 Once the, the Hamden Roar Had and down Then in, uh, Croatia, Czech Republic just grew into it And had control of it And they were chipping long to Dykes Trying to get a knock on header It's not going to work And they had McGinn And Armstrong on the team And McGinn's best games for Scotland They've been playing as a 10 So it's just a 3 4 one Really that two. far forward? Yeah, right. But he'll drop back to help out, isn't he? But then you've got um, Callum McGregor and Scott McTominay. McTominay is not a six, right. so they're playing him as a central midfielder in a three. He's not that player. Like he's not. He he's boxed the box, or he's he wants to get up a pitch. He's not going to sit in behind that midfield. And that I think that was a mistake. Um, I think even though you're playing Charter Republic and it should be the weaker team that you're playing against. I mean, they're they're largely equal, right? I, I would have said, but you want. Um, Callum McGregor is going to be the player who receives the ball and helps give you that diamond shape at the back so you can then build from there so you don't always have to go along to Dykes. If you have a player like Dykes or Adams that can take that ball down or knock it on, there's got to be one option of several. You can't be every single yeah. time. And so you play McGinn off of that and then you can play Christie and I thought he was okay in the first half. People I've read have said he wasn't. I thought he was fine. Um, just need to have not... T- I mean, two players running off of them they weren't ever really able to do it. Armstrong's a great player, didn't didn't work for him today. McTominay's not a six. I think he got the team selection wrong. I think he should have taken James Forrest on for O'Donnell earlier, maybe even put Nathan Patterson on. Um, Forrest was great. As soon as he came on, the tempo changed a little bit and he was able to get a lot more done in the right wing because he was able to take the game to them slightly. Just a few errors and the big thing, like Steve Clark said after the game, oh, well, we, we've got some learnings from it. We're not there to get learnings. We're here to try and do well. Well... <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I yeah. can I, I, Yeah, it's a bit gutting, but um, weirdly, like said, I was excited to come in this morning. I was really excited yesterday, and this morning I woke up and I sort of knew this was going to happen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but I, I mean, this is interesting though because I mean, we, one of the points in our plan here is uh, to say that JJ felt a little bit negative about the game for understandable reasons, perhaps as a fan, but also for the performance perspective. You thought Scotland were quite good, and this was a point of difference in our conversation today, sir.
2: It was. It's made, my, made me doubt myself, though, because I, I don't know whether that's because I expected Scotland to be much worse, just because I don't know very much right. about Scotland. I know I know the English-based players don't follow Scottish football. I don't pretend to. Um, but I thought that, actually, the difference between the two teams is pretty negligible. Mm. Um, I thought, like, in particular, in the second half, Scotland produced quite a lot of, open, like, at least crossing opportunities down the left-hand side. So they opened the Czech Republic up a little bit. I thought that they... I felt that they asked more questions of the centre-back and goalkeeper than they did at the other, at the other end. And it was... I was impressed by McGinn. I I don't... I, don't I was impressed by McGinn. Yeah, because I don't associate him with some of the things that he does for Scotland. At, at Villa, he's a much more conservative player. You see flashes and people remember some of the, the goals he scored, that very famous volley that everybody saw for a mm. couple of days. It was ubiquitous. Um, but you see a little bit more flamboyance. I don't know whether that's about... If you're, um,
1: he's got that in his locker though, hasn't he? Like he I, I, does, but you don't see to it. To be Villa. honest, I don't see, I don't watch Villa very often. So when, when I have watched Villa and he stands out, it's because he's, it's because he done something good. Presumably this is why I'm remembering that. Well, but for, like before, before Ross Barkley arrived and there was a bit more opp- mm. an opportunity to play alongside Grealish, you did see that from McGinn.
2: You did. I I just think it's about like if you come out of the Villa side and like John McGinn has a different hierarchical role. Scotland, I would presume he does anyway than he does for Villas. So you have a little bit more license to be expressive, you know, mm. encourages some flair out of you. I don't know. That's that's
1: theory. Is that the same for you at your other podcast? Or
2: no, no, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm even I'm, less. I'm, I, you know, yeah, I'm afraid so. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, but it's, it's interesting. I, I thought, I thought Scotland were. I was expecting something quite blunt. I felt when Shay Adams came on, the the way that the the phases were put together at the top of the pitch were better. I think Shea Adams has a little bit more variety in his game. I like the way he spread the play, I like the way he would receive the ball in central positions and then shuffle it out to the to to either the wide right or the wide left. I thought that worked. And just a
3: good footballer, Adams. is a thing.
2: You yeah. know, yeah, exactly. And also, ultimately, Jack goalkeeper played really, really well. Like I, I know there are a couple of instances where you could say yeah. that should, you know, that that chance should have left him with no chance. Possibly that should have been. Um, I think it was uh, who missed the the chance when he saved with his legs. Who was that? I forget.
3: Oh, it was Lyndon Dakes. I think the bad left foot. Yeah. That has to go
2: in, but it's still yeah. a good save. Um, yeah. And yeah, I was impressed. I think that, um, like, I I know the temptation is to think that Scotland are out, but you can qualify as a best place runner-up. We weren't impressed with Croatia. Let's not get carried away. Well, when you when England plays play Scotland, there's not you don't factor in things like individual talent too much because sure. that's not what that kind of game is about ever. On that
1: note, Niall D in the chat says, all part of Scotland's plan to uh, (laughs) lull England into a false sense of security. JJ, uh, England game coming up on Friday. You won't be here for that. Uh, You're going to the pub to watch that, I believe, at the Old Red Lion. And uh, what kind of changes will you be expecting? I mean, it sounds from what you're saying and from what I saw today, Steve Clark, maybe a little bit conservative. Would you like to see more from Scotland in in, uh, attacking optimism?
3: Uh, no, I think... <laughs> I, well, there's the thing. I think you have to be more... Um, like like If you're going to play this 5-3-2, I don't like... It's a weird thing to not like a particular system. It doesn't make any sense why you wouldn't like one. You were talking about this during the game. I, I don't like 5-3-2 because yeah. I think everything either has to go very quickly from the back to the striker and there's, you know, you're going to hold up the ball. It seems very 90s to me. And then everything else has to go through the wing backs, and they're often just 1v1. They're kind of stuck there. I get three four three a little more because then you can very easily create little triangles in different parts of the pitch and that yeah. really helps get the ball forward. Mm. Scotland can like pass through like you say they don't follow Scottish football very much said. but then there's only three players in that team who play in Scotland. Yeah. So that it's everyone's Premier League or I suppose it's cup- the
2: conversation, JJ, more than anything else. I don't know like yeah. what like um, you know, back in Scotland, what the kind of the the issues are, the contentious points. I don't mm. get what the kind of What is the man is. in the street talking about? Well yeah, like what's the what's the You know, what are which positions are people concerned by? It doesn't like, I know a little bit more because we work with JJ, but you know, generally speaking, not very much.
3: You mean, yeah. And I mean, I think the thing that worries me is up front, like, you you wonder whether you play, a lot of people want to play Adams and Dykes together, but I don't like that because you have two quite, not, I mean, Adams is more mobile than Dykes, I would say, but they're still two big lads up top, really. And it's just not, Mm. it's like, if you're going to do that, I think you've got to play probably four, four, two, because then at least you've got an extra. Forward player rather than have you just play defensive or play more expansive. Just don't have this thing that doesn't know really know what it is. You saw how they defend with the back five, then a really narrow shape. So all that um all that they probably Republic had to do is switch over quickly to their side and they can come up that side. I think the team selection it's a shame that it turned out as it did. Like I think the ball bounced mostly in favour of Czech Republic, and yeah. that happens in some games. Yeah. Just it just, it's like the computer's against you. It's just that's As what the XG says. Exactly, yeah. So in theory... The reverse,
1: the, the reverse uh, result should have been.
3: Yeah, and Scotland were quite lucky in some of the games qualifying to get there in the first place. So we can't moan too much. Sure. Um, in terms of England, which was, I think, the question originally, I, I do believe, uh, I would play it as a 3-4-3 because then it's a five-four-one, and really just block the spaces, sit deep, don't let them make those cutbacks. Reference that in the video we did before the on yep. some T4 IRL, the... Scotland preview thing. There's a big space that's between the five and the midfield two. And that's something to look out for. And I want I would stay with Christie again, and I'd play probably McGinn just behind them, or be able to make runs on the outside of one of the central forwards. I would play Adams because I think he's a better footballer um, than Dykes. Uh, Don't mean that sounds quite harsh on Dykes, is not it? But I think Adams is just better, I think. And uh, I just want, I just want them to win. It would be great. And I thoroughly. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? You have, go, you, you
1: have to go into that game looking for a win. There's no opportunity to be happy with a draw anymore.
3: Well, what I expect is that, having lost the Czech Republic, we're now going to either beat England or Croatia, but draw the other one and not qualify. It'll be, it'll be if, the if closest you possible points, thing. If
1: you get four points, I think you'll qualify.
3: But if we beat, if we beat England, we'll lose Croatia. Um, if we draw with England, we'll draw with Croatia. <laughs> <laughs> It'll okay. be just close enough to be annoying. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, in that case, uh, we'll be back momentarily. Okay, we're back. Poland one, two, Slovakia. A red card. Uh, <laughs> is our first dismissal of the tournament. How exciting! Um, but what we want to talk about now, albeit extremely briefly, because we've overrun again like real fools. Uh, Lewandowski, undoubtedly one of the greatest strikers in history, Seb, I would say, but you wouldn't have known that from this game, would you? No, not good. Mostly because he didn't
2: touch the ball. No, I was super disappointed because he, he, I think he only had four touches in the box, had five shots, but very little space. They were mainly blocked or half chances. And it's a shame, like, uh, obviously the situation with Poland is that Palaszczuk was only appointed in January. Very strange coaching decision to dismiss a um, a manager who uh, qualified them for a, for a major tournament but he's Why been Why do in.
1: people keep saying he's only had three training sessions with them?
2: Uh, no, no three weeks of preparation not three oh, training sessions okay, okay, um, okay. and to me uh, I don't know how much of this was influenced by the red card but to me Poland looked like a team that weren't cohesive enough to make the best use of their attacking parts um, didn't see very much as Zielinski who's a super player for Napoli I know that um, the Polish public uh, don't uh, are a little bit irritated by the kind of disparity between his club and, and country form um, but it was very shuffled out to the wide positions. Cross. Um, I think they they had thirty five crosses, which is is kind of what yeah. you'd expect. That's kind of like David Moyes Man United situation where yeah. you think, okay, well that's that's our route to goal because we don't quite have the confidence in our little um, in our combinations to to pick through Slovakia, but then by doing that you're playing towards Slovakia's uh, strength. Martin Scriniya is their best player, or is as a result of. Um, Marek Hanswit getting a little bit older. Yeah. And he was immense. I mean, he obviously um he scored the winning goal, but I think he um I don't have a tally on the amount of clearances or tackles he made, didn't commit a foul all game, didn't put the ball in harm's way, was great with um great with his distribution, scored a goal. And you just think that's the game plan that Slovakia would have wanted to face. Yeah, like if you're if you if you're coming up against Lewandowski, yeah. what you hope for is right, well, to make it a fair contest. Just hoof the ball into the box and let our massive, massive fifty million pounds centre half deal with it. Be like, okay, yeah. And that's kind of what happened.
1: Tell you what, talking about that, uh, David Moyes, Man United uh, crossing fiasco against oh, Fulham. Yeah, goodness me, yes. Talk about uh, Craven Cottage, more like Lofted Park. Are you trying for the Loftus Road? Oh, Lofted Road.
2: Oh, Loftus. Fucker. Loftus. <laughs> It's okay. It's only live. Listen, okay. here's another thing.
1: Uh, poor Al as we know, ex-Arsenal goalkeeper, uh, own goal today. Uh, this apparently, I was reading this on the BBC Sport website. Great website. I don't know if you've seen it. BBC Sport. Uh, sent off in the first game of the Euros in 2012. Injured early uh, before the tournament 2016. And now an own goal in the first game of 2020. That's a that's a sad he has metaphor. this.
2: Chesney's always had this. He's got a mistake in him. I know mm. today wasn't really a mistake. See, it was kind of inadvertent, but probably shouldn't get beaten at his near post like that by Robert Mack. But if you look at some of the big games in his career, think of the the Northland derbies he played when he was at Arsenal. Makes mistakes. Always makes mistakes. So um,
3: harsh on Mac that that's gone as no goal.
2: Oh, it's 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 I a it's a the, wonderful time. Like the cut through the defense on the touchline, is brilliant. But yeah. a skill, it's so unfair. You but, can't even
3: see it. Oh, they can't even talk about that. And you know, in no. bars later, they got the like, goalless go, go scored. You wouldn't even get scoring. points
2: for that if he was in your fancy team. Yeah, which is just a scandal. It's not fair. It's I'm, not fair at all. I'm getting major boos in the chat, <laughs> and rightly so. <laughs> Keep the boos coming. But here's a nice Keep one though uh,
1: from uh, from Don McKay. Irish uh, has been linked to Man United in the Irish coverage as well. Uh, how would you rate him versus Paul Torres? JJ.
3: Um, I signed him on a save. I did with Manchester United in football manager and he was very good. So
1: 10 out of 10. Wow, that is that is lucky. Uh, Poland really needed to win this game. I mean, certainly Slovakia. I'm just a bit surprised that they did. Uh, but I'm going to put it in a broader context now. We shouldn't forget also that Poland were quarter-finalists last time out in yeah. 2016. Yeah. Um, Slovakia currently happily top of the group. I would expect very happily and perhaps not, it, perhaps not expecting to be uh, this morning. Top of the group. It becomes a little difficult now, doesn't it? Because uh, as we saw from the Sweden-Spain game, Sweden are a tough opponent. You feel like with Poland's disjointedness, they might struggle to get results against either of those two teams. Are we looking at a Polish exit? Plexit. A Plexit. Plexit. Are we
2: looking at a Plexit? Potential Plexit, maybe. Uh, I wonder because... uh, I wonder how how that defeat changes the way Poland approached that Sweden game because Sweden are... What's the best word? What's the the I mean stodgy would be an unkind word? Defensive, obdurate, resilient, tough. Um the thing is, like you add Lewandowski into that. It's the one thing the Spanish didn't have. Like I know that obviously um on anything like is gifted further back and in the midfield positions, but you put him in that penalty box and you um, provide him with even half chances, you'd probably back him to score. Mm-hmm. So it's a strange thing. I just, I think it's easier for, and I don't have any real basis or kind of anecdotes to, to back this up. I think it's easier to play like Sweden did this evening when you're facing a team yeah. like Spain where there is no expectation on you to be any, in any way adventurous. So you can be negative and you can have like, I, when I when last time I checked the statistics, like I think the player who had the most touches on the Swedish side was like 35 the goalkeeper had, had 32 and that's fine because it's Spain. And if you get a nil-nil, that's a great result. Poland, eh, it's difficult,
1: mm. different. Mm. Okay. Uh, Sam Robbins in the chat saying, uh, hope no Plexit. Uh, I've got Poland in the sweepstake. So do I, Sam. So do I. Anyway, uh, that's the end of that bit. We'll talk more about those teams as the games progress later in the week. Uh, But before we leave you this evening, we have our points rounding up to do. Our points rounding up. Alex will be back tomorrow, of course, so uh, we can (laughs) congratulate him for still being second. To JJ, who did add some points today. You added some points. I'm first though still. You are first still. However, you added almost as many points today as you had on the previous three days. That's bad. You're now on 19 points. So there's a the thing.
2: Winning the real battle, who's the people's champion?
1: Who's the people's champion? That just will always be me, I. I think. <laughs> Difficult. So, I mean, I know that you would like to see yourself as the people's champion, but I just don't think you quite have the profile for that. There's something dislikable about you and that makes the people <laughs> not like you. Whereas I'm a very likable person And the people will always love me, even if I am in last place with 25 points. A good four behind you, Seb, in 21, and you are just one behind Alex in 20. Now, if anyone's listening who didn't listen to yesterday's podcast, uh, I would say that the game is complicated. You don't really need to know how it works. But the more points you have, the worse it is. Points are bad. You don't want them. Points are bad. And there's no way of losing them once you've got them. A bit like weight gained after you've passed 30 So uh, good luck to me with both of those things. And uh, we will be back tomorrow, uh, joined by Alex. JJ will be home for a couple of days. Uh, Wait, one day, when are you back?
3: On Thursday.
1: You're in on Thursday. So we'll see JJ again on Thursday. And uh, Seb Stafford-Bloor, thank you to you. Thank you, Joe Devine. Thanks to Don and Craig, our tremendous crew for this evening. And uh, bon oit, au revoir, bienvenue, and Bye.